Welcome to City Church. We are a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus, grow together, and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. Let's try that again. Merry Christmas, everyone. So for the past several Sundays, we have been going through the Advent series where we took a look at the high points of the Christmas story. And this evening's Christmas Eve sermon is in many ways kind of um, bringing together of all of those things that we talked about, about peace and love and joy and all the stuff that comes with Christ being born into this world. But again, this is Christmas Eve And how many of you are excited about tomorrow? You excited? Now, this is the kids' service. I'm assuming you know that now, where the kids are here with us, and we're so excited that they are. But before I get into my sermon, I have a question. And uh, this is something I was thinking about earlier today, and it's this. How many of your families wait until Christmas morning to open any of the presents? Raise your hand. Real high, so we can, all right. How many of you um, can't wait and you have to open one present at least on Christmas Eve? How many do one on Christmas Eve? It's about even. And um, that was more interesting to me than it was to you. I was just kind (laughs) of curious as to how families and what traditions are like. But the reality of it is, as I was thinking about this Christmas Eve, I during this week while I was studying and prepping and spending time, I really began to think a lot about the many, many Christmases that I have had in my 57 years. And in doing so, that kind of by, I think through prayer and God's presence, sort of led me to a specific perspective for this evening's Christmas Eve sermon. Now, every time I teach or preach on Christmas, I say the following thing. Only two of the Gospels mention Christmas. Of the four, only two do. All four talk about Easter, and up to half of every Gospel is about Easter. Let me put it this way. If Easter were not true, and Jesus had not been raised from the dead, you'd have never heard about Christmas. But Christmas is still in the Gospel story, at least in two of the Gospels. Matthew tells us about Joseph's perspective, and Luke tells us about Mary's. And so what we're going to do in just a few moments is we're going to read from the Gospel of Matthew about some visitors that come to visit Jesus in the home where he was born. But before we get there, there's a few things that I think are important to know before we get to that point. First of all, Luke's Gospel, the one that focuses on Mary, tells us that this little baby, this little child that's placed in the manger is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. What we also know from Luke's gospel is that Caesar Augustus was in power at the time of Jesus' birth. By the way, for those of you who don't know, Caesar Augustus is named for one of the 12 months of the year. Can you guess which month of the year is named after Caesar Augustus? 
That was decreed by the Roman Senate to guarantee he would never be forgotten. But what we have is Caesar Augustus is in power. He was the ultimate. He was the, let me put it this way, he was the king of the Roman Empire, the first one. And when Caesar Augustus ushers a decree, everyone in the Roman Empire obeys, including Joseph. The text tells us that Joseph, underneath the oppression and the authority and the power of the Roman Empire, because a census will be taken, is commanded to go back to the place of his birth, which is Bethlehem. But not only is Bethlehem the place of his birth, but it's also the place of the birth of King David. David is the favorite king of Israel even to this day. And it's in that little town of Bethlehem that David takes Mary, who is pregnant with Jesus, and they go back to his home, and they wait for Jesus to be born. As I have reflected on the many Christmases that I've celebrated, and I think about the story of the birth of Jesus, I think about Joseph going home. Joseph going home. You know, home, when it is really what it is meant to be. Home is a place where you feel the sense of love and support and encouragement. If love, if I'm sorry, if home is what home should be, it's a place where you are known you are believed in, and you're supported. That's what home is meant to be. What I know, though, is for some of us, when you hear the word home, that's not what comes to mind. But my pastoral prayer is, is that everyone, even in this moment, could take a moment and think of home, meaning this. It's a place where you were known and loved and supported and encouraged and believed in. I know from speaking with people that didn't always happen at home. Sometimes people found it in a sports team or in a club at school, maybe a theater group. I have a very dear friend of mine here at City who found home at his best friend's home. It was a place where people believed in him and loved him and encouraged him. But when I think about the Christmas story, I believe the Gospels want us to know that Jesus had, I'm sorry, Joseph had returned home. It was a place where his royal blood had come from. It's the place where his family was, and he returned to be with them. Now, when you think about the Christmas story, and if you read it biblically from the Gospel of Luke, here's what we know Jesus was born in a home. He was not born in a cave. He was born in a home. That's what the text actually says. You see, if you read the gospel story in Luke, it tells us there was no guest room for him. Guest room in Greek is the Greek, Greek word kataluma. It literally means guest room. How many of you have a guest room in your home? Another question. How many of you have a living room in your home? In the day of Jesus, the family that owned the home all lived in the living room. That's where the name comes from. They ate there. They lived there. They slept there. 
They did life there. They did all of that in one room. It was called the living room. But there was a catalume that was up on the roof or attached to the living room, and that was known as the guest room. And the text tells us that when Mary and Joseph get to where Joseph is from, the catalume is full. The guest room is taken. And so we would come to believe that Mary and Joseph lived in the living room until it came time for Jesus to be born. Luke's gospel tells us clearly that Jesus was placed in a manger. That, by the way, makes total sense to have happened in a home. You see, in the poor homes of Palestine and Israel, every home had a catalume, but they also had a stable in the home. What you would do, and many parts of the world still do this today, you don't leave the mere few animals that you own outside at night. You bring them inside the home for their safety and for your warmth. You see, in many homes that have been excavated from the time of Jesus, you had the living room, the catalume, and then you had a stable that was literally in the home, right a little bit lower than the living room. And in the floor of the living room, right next to the drop-off for the stable, a manger was dug into the floor, and that's where Jesus was placed. You see, the story of the birth of Jesus is all about home. It's about Joseph taking Mary home and Jesus being born in a home. And now what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at our brief reading from the Gospel of Matthew. Because in the Gospel of Matthew, we learn that magi come to the home where Jesus was born. So let's pick up our reading in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I'm going to read it out loud. Please follow along in your scriptures or on the screen. Here's what the Bible says. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who was born King of the Jews? And when they said, we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the, chief, all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star... They were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh, and having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
The Gospels are written in such a way to where we are to engage a sanctified imagination. We are to picture ourselves in the scene with the Magi in the home where Jesus is born. But you see, in Matthew's gospel, there are three primary actors in the drama of Jesus' birth. First of all, we have King Herod. And the scriptures tell us that when King Herod heard that another king had been born under his nose, that all of Jerusalem was upset because he was. And what we know from history is that any competition Herod had didn't live long. And so all of Jerusalem was upset that these foreign people had showed up in Jerusalem in the capital of Israel asking where the king had been born. There was already a king of Israel. His name was Herod, and he didn't take kindly to any threats to his throne. So you have King Herod. Then the text tells us that there were magi, these people that came from the east. They were people who were into astronomy. They had followed a star, and the star miraculously had led them what historians and Bible scholars tell us was an incredibly long journey, and they had followed this star up to some assume it could have lasted up to two years. And they finally arrived at the home where Jesus was born, and the star shone over that house. What we know about the Magi is they were wealthy. They brought gold and frankincense and myrrh. There's extra biblical literature that teaches us that the Magi were highly educated, aristocratic, powerful men who had come to declare that Jesus was king of the Jews and that not only was he king, that he deserved worship. And then we have the third actor in the play. You might not be able to guess which one it is, but it's mentioned more than any other item in this play. It has more action than anyone else in this drama. And it is the star. The star. In chapter 2, we are told that the Magi ask, where is the king? We saw his star. And then in Matthew chapter 2, 7, it says, then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. In Matthew chapter 2, 9, it says, the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them. And then in Matthew 2, 10, it says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. A simple reading of Matthew's gospel tells you something. And that is the star matters. The star is an intricate action figure in the story of the birth of Jesus. And why can that be? Why is it that Matthew's gospel keeps saying the star, the star, the star? Well, there are many theories. There are many theories about which star it was. But in my own personal preparation, there's a reason I believe that the star is mentioned so much. And that is because in Luke's gospel, we already mentioned that Caesar Augustus was the Roman emperor at the time. He was Herod's boss. But if you know anything about Caesar Augustus's history, you know there's a star in his history too. 
You see, Caesar Augustus was the adopted son of Julius Caesar. And if you would remember your Shakespeare play, you would remember that Julius Caesar was assassinated in the Roman Senate. The famous phrase from that play is, et tu, Brutus. You too, Brutus? How many of you remember that? But if you were to know the story of Caesar Augustus, you would know he became king because he told all of Rome that immediately after Julius Caesar had been assassinated, there was a comet that was visible during the day in all of the known world. It's referenced in some star charts in China at the exact same time. And so what, Ju what Caesar Augustus did is he went to Rome and to the Senate and he said, see this comet that keeps appearing every day? That's actually my father, Julius Caesar, being taken up into the gods and being made a god. And Rome believed him. And from then on, every time you see any emblem or symbol of Caesar Augustus, there's a comet or a meteor rising above his head, and he had coins minted to prove it. And here's the deal. If Julius Caesar is a god, what does that make Caesar Augustus? The son of God. And this was the first time that Rome began to worship its emperors. And the text tells us in the Gospel of Luke that Caesar Augustus was in power when Jesus was born. He received his power because his dad had been taken into heaven supposedly and been deified and made a God and a star had proved it. And what does God do? God, out of love and mercy and grace, literally moves heaven and earth and these magi show up in Israel and begin to say, we saw his star. There was a star when another son of God was announced. And now this star is announcing the true son of God. And Herod became irate. You see, there's a backstory to the star that announces the birth of Jesus. It's about the Son of God, the true Son of God, being born into the world. And the Magi make this announcement. We saw his star, the King of Israel, has been born, and we have come to worship him, not Caesar Augustus. We have come to worship the Christ. And when we look at our text and we look at this story and we think about putting feet to our faith with the story of Matthew and the Magi, there's a pretty simple thought that I think Matthew wants us to know. And it's this. There are two actors beyond the star. There's King Herod and the Magi. As we read in the Gospel of Matthew, we discover that Herod never goes to meet Jesus. The text tells us clearly that he goes to the Bible scholars that are under his authority as he is the king of Israel. He's not the king of the empire, but he's king of part of it, the Israelite part of it. And he, being Jewish as well, goes to the Bible scholars and asks this question, 
Where will the child be born? And the Older Testament prophets, the book of Isaiah, had clearly announced in Bethlehem, that's where God's true king, the shepherd of all of Israel, would be born. And so Herod knew that the Bible had prophesied the birth of Jesus. Herod knew that the Bible had prophesied where Jesus would be born, but he never went to look for himself. What's fascinating to know is that Bethlehem is 5.1 miles from Jerusalem. It would have taken King Herod one hour and 46 minutes to take a leisurely walk to meet Jesus himself. But he never went. He never moved. On the other hand, Matthew wants you to know that there were magi. They had come a great distance. It was a journey that took great fortitude and discipline and exertion and energy. But they had traveled a long way. Not only had they traveled a long way, they had been following a star a star that announced the birth of God's true king into this world. And they had followed it. And when they found him, the child, the text says that they opened up their treasures and they presented him with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And then they bowed down and they worshiped. You see, Matthew wants you to know there are two responses to the birth of Jesus. You can know what the Bible says. You can know what the Bible points to. But you can never go and look for yourself. Or you can be like the Magi. The Magi went, and they followed, and they believed. And when they looked into the manger, it says they bowed down, and they worshiped him. The Gospel of Matthew, for those of us worshiping online... And here in this sanctuary presents to us a choice. Which one will I do? Will I come to the crib? Will I come to the manger? And will I identify him as the son of God? Or will I not make the journey? Will I stay put and try to ignore what happens? One of the saddest parts of the Newer Testament is if you read on in the Gospel of Matthew, you would discover that Herod makes the choice to kill the child. He sends some of his troops, and they exterminate all the little boys, two years old and younger, in and around Bethlehem. But when we think about the story, and we think about the birth of Jesus into the world, I believe with all of my heart that the star was real. And that God had moved heaven and earth so that anyone who really wanted to know would know that the true Son of God had been born in this world. The truth of it is, the Magi may have traveled up to two years, but the journey we need to take is actually more like about a foot and a half. Herod could have walked for an hour and 46 minutes and met Jesus, God's King, but he didn't take the trip. We, on the other hand, have a foot and a half journey to take. It's the distance between our heads and our hearts. Many of us, conceptually, maybe look at the text and say, hmm, I think it's true. But the journey that must be made by faith is the journey to our hearts.
The journey from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. The journey from the truth about Jesus. What the heavens were declaring in celestial bodies. What the angels announced to be true. And what the Magi came to believe. And it transformed everything. Because the text says, after they met Jesus, they went home different. They went home a different way. I believe that everyone, every woman and man that comes to the manger and looks in and believes, they go home different. They go home a different way because of who the Christ child is. Let's stand together as we close. As we conclude our time, I'm going to ask that we would close our eyes just for a moment. I want you to, through your memory, find a place of home. Put yourself in that place, a place where you're known and you're loved and you're encouraged and you're believed in, home. Joseph was home in the town of his birth, the place where his family was known and was from. It was in that context that Jesus was born. So what I'd like for you to do with sanctified imagination is to take a moment. In what place you call home, that place of security and of strength, I would ask you with eyes closed and heart open, to now picture the Christ child in the midst of that space. Let the birth of Jesus happen in that space and open up your heart to him and believe and receive what the Magi found to be true. God, I pray over all of us, from the oldest to the youngest, every woman and every man, God, I ask you, that this Christmas Eve would be one where maybe for the first time or the thousandth time, we would come to the manger, we would open up our hearts, and we would believe. Jesus, thank you for your story that has transformed lives for 2,000 years. Thank you. Thank you for Christmas and the joy and the peace and the strength that it brings that God's King has truly stepped into this world. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen and amen. What we're going to do now is we're going to move towards singing a Christmas hymn. And as we do that, I want to warn you ahead of time, the lights are going to begin to go down. That's on purpose. That's not a mistake. And as the lights begin to go down, what I would like to have is one child who um, would be willing to come forward. Would you be willing to bring your son forward? Would you mind? Go ahead and bring him forward with this candle. And with the concept of Jesus being the light of the world, what we're going to do, what's, your, what's his name? Levi. This is Levi. Everyone say, hi, Levi. He said hello. 
And so, Levi, what I'm going to ask that you would do is that you would come in just a moment as we begin to sing this Christmas hymn, and you would light your candle. Will you let your mom help you do that? Will you? There you go. And then, Levi, you're going to light your candle, and when you're done, you're going to take that back to your family, and you're going to light theirs. And what your family's going to do is they're going to take and pass that light to the people around them. Does that make sense to you? boy. And so we're going to begin to sing. And right after we begin to sing the hymn, if you'll help Levi do that, does that make sense? And so let's begin to sing as Blake leads us in worship in this Christmas hymn. Let's sing together. Round yon bird. 
And when they saw his star, they were overjoyed. They came and they bowed down and worshiped him. And they opened up their treasures of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they presented them to God's son. Let's hold the candles up high and take a moment again to acknowledge the birth of Christ into this world. He truly is the Son of God, the Savior, the Messiah, and the Lord. Would you with me just pause and open up your heart again to the birth of Christ and what that means for you and for the world around us. Jesus, thank you for your birth into this world. Thank you for the story of you taking on flesh and truly becoming God in this world. God, again, I pray over all of our hearts that our hearts would be open and receptive to who you are. And now may the Lord bless you and may God keep you. May God himself turn his countenance towards you and give you his grace and his peace on this Christmas Eve in Christ's name through his son. Amen, amen, and amen. Merry Christmas.